Do please sit down. And if you'd reach for a Bible with me and turn to page 517, page 517, you'll find Psalm 124. Uh, Robin said, uh, Robin was just giving thanks for gospel partners around the country who have supported you. We want you to know from our church in St. Andrews that we give great thanks for you. We've been praying for you often over the last uh, three or four years in particular. Um, and we give great praise to God for the, the gospel courage that Robert and the elders and your whole church family has shown over these days for your confidence and trust in God, for your imagination in uh, restoring this building for, to the purpose for which it was made, uh, for all the ways in which you uh, continue to be a, a real beacon and a real leader in the National Church in Scotland. We give great, great praise for you. We're particularly grateful for the generosity of Robin and, and the elders and that you could have been so easy over these last few years to become very insular and concerned with no one but yourself. But I've been greatly humbled by seeing the way that all of you have continued to look to others and to try and serve the wider church throughout that time, not least by training up future generations of gospel workers. We've benefited from your generosity hugely personally in St. Andrews. Um, Robin and Sally have become great friends over the last few years, and we really do give great, great thanks to you, uh, to God for you, I should say. Not to you. Well, thanks to you as well, but mostly thanks to God for you. But uh, Robin made it uh, absolutely clear to me as I was coming today. Robin's a wonderful man. He gave me a very clear set of instructions as to what I had to do when I came here today. And uh, he said that although it's great to be thanking God for the building, and although it's great to be thanking God for uh, the generosity of so many who have contributed not just money but time and significant labors to uh, getting to this opening weekend, that what we needed to do was to lift our eyes above the building and to lift our eyes above people and to make sure that we were giving thanks to God for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel that has inspired all of the hard work, all of the sacrificial generosity. It's that gospel that has sustained you over these years. It's that gospel that continues to change lives among you here in Edinburgh and that stands right at the very, very heart of everything that this church stands for and will be doing in this building. So it's right that we should give thanks to God for it today. We're going to do that with the help of Psalm 124. I'm going to pray and then read God's word to us. Our Father, as we thank you for many things, we thank you not least for your presence with us now, for the scriptures before us, and for your promise of speaking to us by the power of your Spirit, through your word, to do your work amongst us. We pray that you would indeed fill our hearts with thankfulness this morning for everything that's made it possible for us to be here today and for Chalmers to have this official launch, as it were, but supremely for Jesus himself. Open our eyes, please, in new and fresh ways to behold his wonder and grace and help us to think of ourselves and our world rightly in the light of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 124, a song of ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, 
Let Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And as ever, it would be great if you might keep that open in front of you. There's also an outline of the sermon inside the the sheet you were given as you came in. Uh, You'll know that the The question, what if, is one that people love to ask. Historians do it sometimes, what if. On the 28th of June, 1914, Gavrilo Princip hadn't assassinated Archduke Franz Ferdinand. How different would the history of Europe in the 20th century have been? Uh, Sports fans ask the question so much, we become a little bit boring to those around us. I suspect I have a a friend in St. Andrews, and every time Scotland have a rugby game, he has a what-if question for me. Most often, what if the referee hadn't given a penalty to Australia two minutes before the end of that World Cup match a few years ago? Would Scotland have gone all the way and be basking in the triumph still? Filmmakers, you'll know, uh, make lots of money out of asking the question, whether it's back to the future or sliding doors or it's a wonderful life. What if things were different? What if uh, I hadn't caught the train or caught the train I can never remember? What if I hadn't been born? Maybe you've asked the question very personally. What if I'd never come to Edinburgh? What if I'd chosen a different degree or career? What if I'd married someone different? What if I hadn't got better? Where, where would I be now? If you ever ask the question in the context of a near miss, it's especially poignant, isn't it? A friend of mine um, was devastated, in truth, when he was made redundant towards the end of the summer of 2001. He was uh, married, had five children, and had no idea how he was going to put food on the table. But one week later... The entire team, of which he'd been a part for many years, were taken off to a conference in New York that happened to be being held in the World Trade Center. And it meant that all of them were inside the building when the plane struck. And not one of them survived. Every day, I guess, since he's been saying, what if? And Psalm 124 that we're looking at this morning is a a thought experiment in which God invites us to imagine a parallel universe in which he were not on the side of his people? What if God had never sent his son Jesus to die for as many as would put their trust in him? What would have happened if God were not on our side? And if we glance at verse 6, we'll see the psalmist saying in raising the question. He wants us to imagine a past without God so that we will be inspired to give praise to God for all that he has in fact done for his people. And we're going to follow that logic through with the help of the two points on the sheet. First, picture a world without God's deliverance. And as you glance your eye over verses 1 to 5, you'll see that it's made up of two if-nots in verses 1 and 2, and then four would-haves 
in verses 3 to 5. And you'll see too that it's, although it's a psalm that was written by King David in the heading there, it's not a solo. No sooner has he begun singing than he invites the rest of God's people to join with him in his reflections. If it hadn't been the Lord, he said, who was on our side, let all Israel now say, if it hadn't been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us. And just what the consequences would have been for king and people alike are then spelt out in two images. First in verse 3, David says, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. There are plenty of um, real-life examples from from David's own uh, time that he could have been thinking of as he put pen to paper on this psalm. It could have been that he was thinking of the time when he stood in front of Goliath. What if God hadn't been on his side then? Maybe the time when King Saul sent him out to battle against the Philistines, desperately hoping that they would kill David for him so he didn't have to bother. What if when Saul threw the spear across the room a few times to try and kill David? What if it had been just a little bit more on target? What if? And the rest of God's people, as they joined in, had plenty of reasons to reflect on God's goodness to them. Maybe they remembered the time that that Pharaoh's army had been chasing God's people. And as they head towards the Red Sea, he knows that the Pharaoh's army are determined to kill them. What if God hadn't parted the waters of the Red Sea and let them through to the land of safety? Maybe they remembered the time that Gideon was fighting for God's people with just 300 soldiers against an army of the Midianites and Amalekites, we're told, who are so numerous. We're not told how many the people there were in the army, but we are told that there were so many of them that they had as many camels as there are grains of sand on the seashore. I take it that means there was quite a big army uh, in town. What if, well, here's what if, says David, our enemies would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Uh, some commentators think that the image is of an earthquake. You'll have seen pictures on TV at some point or another of a, when an earthquake struck and a road's been split in two, leaving a great big chasm. And there were a couple of instances back in the book of Numbers when the Lord literally opened up the ground and swallowed people alive. It could be that's the image. I think more likely David has in mind a, a powerful beast who wants to devour its helpless prey for dinner. Uh, if you were to have an image from the film Jaws swimming around in your mind uh, about now, I'm not trying to put you off going to the picnic at, at Gullen. I'm sure it would be great in the, in the water there and all very safe. But if you had that image, you know that the shark is coming. Uh, you know you can't get to safety. Your legs are dangling under the water, enticing him to come and get you. You know you're powerless to defend yourself. Well, that's what it would have been like, says David, says Israel. We would have been swallowed alive if God hadn't saved us. The next three would have are all different takes on the same image. The flood would have swept us away in verse 4. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Uh, It prompted me to... Google the, the history of the, the, the biggest dam failure in human history. They tell me that it happened in 1975, the Bangkiao Dam, if I'm saying that wrong, do correct me afterwards, in the Henan province of China. Apparently the wall was about 25 meters high. 
and it held back 500 million cubic meters of water. That was a big typhoon, Nina, record rainfall. Then on August the 7th, 1975, the dam burst. Do you know, 171,000 people were killed. Another 11 million people were left homeless. And David takes that kind of real-life example and says, let's face facts, that would have been us. Not that it could have been us, maybe possibly, but that it would have been us certainly, definitely. We would have been engulfed. We would have been swept away by our enemies if it hadn't been for our God. Well, as we bring this first point through to us today, we need to remember that these words were first sung by God's anointed King David. Only then did the rest of God's people join in. So we need to think about how these words would play on the lips of Jesus himself before we think uh, straight to us. But the pattern will be the same. God's anointed King David inspires the praise of all of God's people. God's anointed King Jesus will inspire our praise today. So we can think of Jesus alone in the wilderness. 40 days and 40 nights he was there under constant attack from the evil one. And many times in his life he was tempted. Even one of his best friends, Peter, said to him, you don't have to die, Lord. What if Jesus had taken that path of easy convenience and worldly glory instead of obedience to his father? What about as he was sweating what looked like drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane? What about when he was hanging on the cross, being mocked and taunted by the crowds? Would he retaliate? Would he revile them in return? Would he depart from the will of his Father? Uh, Hebrews says Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. What if just once he'd chosen to disobey God? What if he'd chosen to serve himself rather than others? Well, where would we be then? If the Father hadn't empowered him by his Spirit for a lifetime of obedience, moment after moment after moment, well, what if? Uh, The clearest application of Psalm 124 to Jesus, though, I think must be when he was lying cold in the borrowed tomb. What if the father had abandoned his son to the grave after all? What if he hadn't intervened and exerted his incomparably great power to raise Jesus from the dead and seat him at his right hand in heaven, far above all rule and authority? How Jesus' enemies would have laughed if the grave had been able to swallow him forever. How they'd have mocked if the flood of death had engulfed him and swept him away. If the Lord had not been on Jesus' side, well, we would all be for it. We can think, too, of what life would be like for God's corporate people, the church, as well. Um, I was reading a book of early Christian martyr stories just recently. Actually, it was given to me by um, a member of our staff team who, who moved on to go and serve 
somewhere else, quite why um, working with us had made him think about martyrdom so much, I'm not entirely sure, but he chose to give me that book and I enjoyed um, reading it. I was um, reading the story of a young woman called Perpetua. Um, She was, I guess, in her early 20s. um, She had a a young son who was still small enough that she was still breastfeeding him, the historians tell us. Her own father was begging with her to denounce her faith so that she might survive. He was saying, don't you think you need to be alive to raise your own son? What's going to happen to your son if you're not here to look after him? You can imagine the pressure. Uh, Still... She stood firm for Christ and said she wouldn't deny him. It was on Caesar's birthday, eventually for a bit of fun, apparently, that they tossed her to the animals. She was trampled by a cow first, but that didn't kill her. So they called an executioner, and in front of everyone, he drove the sword into her. Apparently, you could, again, the historians say, you could hear her bones crunching from the stand. But she still didn't die until she reached out herself and took hold of his hand that had the sword in it and drew it up to her own throat. And so finally she breathed her last. There are many, many stories like that from the early history of the church. What if God hadn't empowered those men and women to stand so bold and so strong in the face of their persecutors? Just ordinary men and women, followers of Jesus like us. Would the church have ever made it out of the first century if it wasn't for that supernatural help from God. Uh, Historians debate whether the Emperor Constantine really did become a Christian or did he just adopt Christianity as the formal religion of the Roman Empire for political expedience. But what if God hadn't overruled history in such a way that the Roman Empire became the vehicle for the spread of Christianity throughout the known world? Well, where would the church be now? Or what if God hadn't protected his people from heresy after heresy after heresy that has arisen in the history of the church? What if there had been no Reformation 500 years ago? I wonder if in years to come people will look back and say, what if churches hadn't stood firm on the authority of Scripture in the 21st century? The world, the flesh, and the devil are powerful enemies. And many times their anger has flared against the church. And if the Lord had not been on our side, let the church say, they would have swallowed us alive. Their raging waters would have swept us away. We certainly wouldn't be sitting here now. Well, I don't know if you've ever bought a, a diamond. Maybe it's something you do all the time. I've only once had to buy a diamond in my life. Um, you could be able to guess why. Um, if they're displaying a, a diamond to you, you will know they don't set it on a, a white and sparkly background because that would de- detract from the, the beauty and the, the brightness, the tingling, whatever it does, the glimmering, the shimmering of the diamond itself. I, I'm an expert on these things, you can tell. What they do is they set it against a a piece of black cloth so that set against that darkness you can see the the jewel in all of its beauty. And the point of Psalm 124 is to to do that for us. It it tells us to, to picture a past without God 
not as an end in itself, but so that as we realize just how dark and hopeless our world would be if God were not on the side of his people, well, so we will be provoked to a new and deeper praise of God for all of his kindnesses and benefits to us in Jesus Christ. And that leads us to our second point. Praise be to the Lord for his deliverance. Let's read from verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, or praise be to the Lord, who has not given us his prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. The the Heidelberg Catechism was a document written in the the 16th century to help um, Christian people understand the truth of the gospel better. And there's a lovely question and answer in it that we sometimes use in our services in St. Andrews. It asks the, the Christian, why do you call Jesus Lord? And the answer is, because it was not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood that Jesus has set us free from sin and from the tyranny of the devil, and has brought us body and soul to be his very own. And here David says, praise be to the the covenant, the promise-keeping Lord, because the what-if never happened. He didn't let us be destroyed by our enemies, but wonderfully was and is on our side. And once again, David uses two striking images to color in his points. And we begin again in the world of the nature documentary. And David Attenborough has been doing his thing in the background. The music is getting dramatic. And here is the, the powerful predator with his prey in his sights. And if it's not too graphic, just before lunch, he is longing, isn't he, to clasp his jaw around the throat of the, the poor beast in front of it to squeeze the very life out of it. And there was a time when King David was being pursued by King Saul and he had to hide in some caves. When he reflected on the experience later in Psalm 57, he talks about how he was forced to dwell in the midst of lions and other ravenous beasts. He may have that literal experience in his mind. He may be thinking of a more metaphorical danger. And I guess that's the way that many of us will think of it today. Remember the the sin that crouches at our door, looking to control us and to lead us astray. Do you remember the Apostle Peter talking about our enemy, the devil, who prowls around, he says, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour? Not a pussycat, but a roaring lion. A lion who is hungry and restless and wants to destroy faith among God's people. There's nothing the devil would love more than to see one of God's children or one of God's churches beginning to harden their heart to God's word and to allow their heart to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He'd rejoice if Our minds were seduced away from a sincere love of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that the devil masquerades as an angel of light who 
tries to fill the church with false teachers who will tell our itching ears exactly what they want to hear so that we might be led away. Well, we need to put the full armor of God on. The spiritual battle is real and we must stand our ground. But here the particular point is praise be to our faithful Lord because even in the face of the constant attacks of the evil one, He has never allowed us to be torn by their teeth. Um, Just a a couple of weeks ago, I celebrated um, my 25th birthday as a Christian. Um, People laughed in the first uh, service at the thought that I might be only 25. Um, So I shall take your offense back with me to St. Andrew's later in the day. But it was the, the 6th of February, 1992, that God first opened my eyes to see that Jesus is Lord Um, I knew then that I didn't deserve God's love and kindness. And, you know, there hasn't been a single day since upon which I've uh, deserved it either. But God is a, a faithful God. He is a loving Lord. And so he has spent the last... Um, I found a website that let me calculate this. 9,222 days or 221,328 hours. I won't do the seconds one for you. But he spent all of that time guarding and protecting me from the flaming arrows of the evil one. I know there'll be some here who haven't been following Jesus for nearly that long. Some of you will have been following him for longer than I've been alive, a lot longer. But however many days or hours your faith has persevered, For that many hours, God has been active in keeping you and preserving you and guarding and protecting you. And so the psalm says, praise be to the Lord for that. The the final image in verse 7 there is of the hunter's snare. Verse 7, we've escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. So we're moving from the wildlife documentary. We're out in the forest with a hunter and there's someone dressed head to toe in their camouflage gear and they're lying in the wait. Uh, They've laid their trap, their snare. Um, Again, I had to Google this. I'm not a great expert at hunting, but apparently the guinea fowl is the likely uh, prey for a snare. So now we can picture this poor little guinea flower pecking away happily in the woods, wandering about. I don't know what they peck, but he was happily pecking away in the woods completely oblivious to the fact that if he takes a single step to the left, the trap will snap shut and crush his legs. There were times when David was hunted physically. Uh, For most of us, the traps we face are spiritual. Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Writer to the Hebrews encourages us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and to run with perseverance the race that has been marked out for us. Peter speaks of uh, the desires of sin which wage war against our soul. And it's the same idea in every case. There we are like the bird pecking away. And right beside us is the snare of sexual immorality. 
or the trap of materialism or the, the pit of living for career and success apart from Jesus Christ. Here are the idolatries of family and pleasure. Do you think that sometimes we're oblivious to their dangers? Do you think that sometimes we know that the danger is there, but we decide to play around with them anyway and to see how close we can get before the trap goes? Have no doubt that if the Lord had not been on our side, the snares of sin and evil would have caught us long ago. And so David says, praise be to the Lord, because we have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. Because for as many of us as have trusted in Jesus, he has set us free from the reign of sin. Do you see that in verse 7? It's all in the past tense. The snare has been broken. We have escaped. It's once and for all definitively true that Jesus has set us free so that we're no longer in the realm of sin and death. That's where we are by nature. But we're now in the realm of righteousness and life. That is how great our salvation is. God sent his one and only son to rescue us from our sin and the consequences of our sin in his own wrath. To save us from all that for an eternity lived in relationship with him in a perfect new creation. So praise be to the Lord for that salvation. There are many applications of that truth. The key one here this morning is praise and renewed fresh confidence in the Lord. If he were not on our side, he would never have sent his son Jesus to die for us. That means that not one of us would be a Christian. It means that we would have no hope of forgiveness. It means we would have no answer to death. We would have no true home that awaits us in the, the heavenly Jerusalem at the end of this earthly pilgrimage. And so, blessed be, praise be to the Lord, because our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I'm told that verse 8 there on the, in the, the Bibles is um, John Calvin's favorite verse in the whole Bible. As I reflected on coming, I... I'm sure that you can relate to it here at Chalmers. There is um, so much that you've been through as a church over the last few years. There have been many hard and draining days, and I know that some of you have borne the cost of that more than others. Um, we hope and we pray for calmer days ahead for you as a church family so that you can keep on giving yourselves, as you have been throughout these years, to the task of making disciples of all nations. Our true gospel ministry is never free from pressure. It's never free from opposition. So that we pray for calmer days. We know there will be different and many struggles ahead. But it strikes me that you've proven the truth of verse 8 in your church history over and over again. Whatever challenges you've been through, whatever challenges await in the future, you can rejoice with confidence that the Lord your God is a gloriously sufficient helper. 
for he is the maker of heaven and earth. If our help was in any lesser being, we would have cause for doubt. We would be insecure. We wouldn't know where we were going. But because our help comes from the one who not just made the whole earth, but maintains the whole earth and manages it in the minutiae, moment by moment, because our help comes from one who has already pledged himself to us and sent his son to die that we might be pardoned for our sins and one who has promised to help us and to protect us and to preserve us all the way to the new creation. Because our help is in the maker of heaven and earth, the covenant God who is on our side, we have hope and we have confidence for the future. Let me end with a couple of final words. Maybe one to those here this morning who are Christians. I wonder, do you, do you ever feel cold in your praise of God? We all have days like that. Sometimes it's whole seasons of life. Sometimes the, the trials of life sweep over us so much that we can barely lift our eyes and remember to say thank you to God. Sometimes we go through periods of time when we are worshipping God with our lips Sunday by Sunday, but, but not with our hearts. I want to encourage you to stop this week and conduct a little thought experiment. What if the Lord had not been on your side? Picture a, a past without him personally and as a church and it will be sure to provoke new and fresh praise of him that's the logic of psalm 124 but a very final word to anyone here this morning and i'm sure there are some who who wouldn't call yourself a follower of the lord jesus yet because you'll have twigged by now i guess that that for you psalm 124 isn't a a thought experiment. Uh, it's not a what if. The striking language of the psalm is rather an expression of reality. It's a you will be. Uh, there is a day when each of us will have to stand before God to give an account for our life. And as things stand, if we, if we don't put our trust in Jesus, if we don't receive the rescue that God offers to us in him, well, on that day we will be swallowed, engulfed, and swept away in death and in his judgments. I hope you know, though, that the glorious news of Christianity is that it doesn't need to be that way. I'm sure if you saw a, a toddler playing with a trap that was about to snap shut on their leg, or if they were playing next to a, a raging torrent and about to topple in and be swept away. I'm sure that you would shout and scream and you would urge them to safety. It's in that vein that the people of this church want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the people of this community. It's in that vein that we speak today. We urge you to think again of God's King Jesus and the rescue that he died on the cross to achieve. I want to encourage you to come and chat to Robin or to me or to one of your friends if this is all very new to you, or come to that Christianity Explored course that we saw advertised, I think is this Wednesday evening.
We'd love you to understand the love of God who loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son to die so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life so that you too could be with us there on the last day praising our King Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth who loved us enough that he was willing to experience the raging waters of death so that we might live. Who loved us enough that he was willing to be caught, if I can put it like this, in the snare, the trap of the Father's wrath, so that we might be forgiven. I want to encourage you to receive the rescue that he came to bring. There's so much to thank God for this morning. Uh, we do thank God for this building. We do thank God for the the many people who have worked so hard and given so sacrificially and continue to labor to make this a center of the proclamation of Jesus Christ here in Edinburgh. But supremely, we praise our Father in heaven for the gospel because the what if never happened. He sent Jesus to die so that we might live. Let's pray together now. And our great Father, we do want to praise you for your astonishing kindness to your people in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you didn't leave us on our own, but even while we were still sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. Fill our hearts then, we pray, with fresh thankfulness to you for him. May we never grow cold in our praise but rejoice in him. And would you please this morning renew our confidence personally and renew the confidence of this church, knowing that the same God who has been so good to us in the past and helped us so lavishly promises to stay with us and to keep us all the way to the new creation. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth, and so we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.